0: We'll be in the letter to the Hebrews in the New Testament. Hebrews is right after the tiny letter of Philemon. We'll be in Hebrews chapter 2 today. There's an outline available for you in the program there if you want to take notes. If you have any sermon follow-up or question, feel free to talk to me after the service or use that Connect card. And we will follow up. I'll follow up with you. Let's, Let's pray as we come to God's Word. O oh Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts, may they be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, dear Lord, for you are truly our rock and our redeemer, you are our author and perfecter, you alone should we rightly fear and revere, you alone should we fully follow, you alone should our life be founded upon. Oh Lord, I pray for ears to hear and eyes to see and hearts that rejoice at your good news. And I pray for your people that the Holy Spirit would help each one of us to to listen and to, to have this time as an act of worship, not just of learning, Lord, but a time that glorifies you and that somehow by your spirit you grow us through hearing of your word and good news. Help us to pray for one another. May your people pray for me and other preachers that we would rightly declare your good news throughout communities nearby and far away that your truth would be heard and that people would come to your light. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hebrews chapter 2 is where we find ourselves. If you haven't been with us on our journey, we go through books of the Bible and we go straight through. That's generally what we do. Every once in a while we take a break for some things, but we are going through the letter to the Hebrews and we find ourselves in chapter 2. We are also in, in our Bible studies groups studying the letter to the Hebrews. So if you're interested in a Bible study, I know there's been a couple of people who joined up recently. There's Bible studies in your weekly calendar. You can see that it's fun to be a part of the group and, and to go deep in some questions that we can't explore fully here, like... I, I went and did some research on different ministers who preached Hebrews 2, 10 through 18, and, and I was pretty convicted that I'm doing it in one sermon because one guy did it in 10. So I was like, oh boy, maybe I, oh. Ooh. And once you re- hear this scripture, there is a lot here. And, but we, in Bible study, we can, you know, an hour or an hour and a half together, we can talk about a lot more, right? Uh, so we, I'll, I'll lift up what I can today, but I encourage you to consider a Bible study. So... We're going to be hearing today the good news that Jesus, who is the eternal son of God, Hebrews has been clear about that, that he's the very radiance of the glory of God, right? The very imprint of the nature of God, that he upholds the universe by the word of his power, that he was involved in all creation, he's higher than the angels, but he has also lowered himself. And become a servant, become flesh and blood like us, and he has become our brother in a sense. Hebrews is going to tell us. Our perfect big brother, just in case you had a not so perfect brother. I'm one of five boys. Okay. Uh, So but he is our perfect big brother, who does what we could not do in our lives, lives the perfect life and and is a sacrifice for us, dying the death that we deserve. So he is made perfect through our suffering. We're going to hear today. I, I, parents out there that had more than one kid, you know, um, isn't it fun? Uh, I, siblings have their challenges, but it's fun when your your firstborn sees that secondborn kid and the, the life the light goes off and they're, oh wow, I am a sibling. Right? Uh, that is a that was a fun experience for us to get to see Danny realize that this is my baby sister. Right. And she's not here, Zoe's not here today to embarrass. But he was, he was excited. He didn't know what to do with her, honestly. Uh, but he was so happy, right? And, and continued uh, to be when he had an, another sister. But uh, I am thankful to be uh, a brother, one of, one of six kids. Uh, our oldest sibling is the sister. She's in charge, um, just in case she sees this online. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and, you know, being in a family and being amongst siblings comes with trials to be sure, right? Um, but one of the greatest feelings also as a human being in the world is when, when you have loving family, right? I know not everybody grew up with perfect family. I get that, but we have a perfect family available in Christ. And, 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 and Hebrews today is going to use this imagery of families saying, wow, this is the loving experience we have of of sibling, the, the sibling, capital T, capital S, that stands up for you and protects you, even though he didn't really earn it or deserve it, right? So let's hear God's word with this good news in mind that he, Jesus Christ, has chosen to become our, our perfect older brother, Doing what we could not do. The word of the Lord from Hebrews chapter two. I'd ask you to stand if you're able for the hearing of the word of the Lord. We just was not our normal practice, but we've been doing this lately to just honor God's word as we come to hear it and to pay attention to it. So Hebrews two, starting with verse 10. For it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things ex- exist in bringing many sons to glory should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. Since, therefore, the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not the angels that he helps, but it is he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. We're gonna go through phrase by phrase and like I said, we're not gonna get anywhere near to plumbing the depths of this section. I, I, just, I say that not as an apology, I say that as an invitation to spend time with this section this week and go even deeper, right? Because it is beautiful and I hope to at least open up some of that to you today. For it was fitting, for it was fitting, the one from whom all things exist, right? This is a repeated theme in the New Testament. It's not just here in Hebrews, but in the very beginning of the Gospel of John. It says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, right? And then it goes on to say, all things were created through Him. Nothing exists without His creation. And so we learn through reading of the Scriptures, through hearing the Scriptures, that Jesus is not just a man, but Jesus is the the human incarnation of the eternal Son of God who is God with the Father and God with the Holy Spirit. And it was fitting for this God who created us to love us, right? And, And it was fitting for this God, this God wanted to bring us into glory. I'm bringing, it says, I'm bringing many children into glory. This is God's, what we call, created intention. If you look back to Genesis he, he made us man and woman in, in God's image we were made and, and so God wanted us to be able to walk in God's glorious presence we have this image of the Garden of Eden where God walked with them right and then sin entered the world and we got fouled up we we invited brokenness and shame. we listened to to the evil temptation right we decided we could maybe define good and evil on ate of the forbidden fruit But God's intention for us was to walk with us, to invite us into God's existence, right? Not to make us gods, because there's only one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But God's created plan, God's fitting plan was to bring children, men and women, kids, boys and girls, into God's glorious reality. You know, in the Hebrew mindset, which we gotta be thinking, even though this is written in Greek and it's in the New Testament, it's, it's written with Jewish perspective. That's why it's called the letter to the Hebrews. It was first written to Jewish background followers of Jesus. And, and, and in the Jewish perspective, when it t- talks about glory, when they hear glory, it, 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 we often in the Western world, maybe light came to your mind. Okay? That's normal if, if, you, if it did. We think glorious light, right? Maybe you think the angel singing to the shepherds when Jesus was born or something. Something glory. And yes, that's fair. That's good. But in, in a Jewish mindset, they think of weight. Did you know that? They think of heaviness. The Jewish mindset for glory was a heavy presence, a weighty, profound presence. Not that they didn't also think of light, right? But something profound. You could feel it, not just see it. So when a Jewish person goes to a person's uh, a loved one's grave and they want to say, I was here, they don't bring flowers because flowers are light and they can wither and blow away. They leave a rock. They leave a rock because it's presence. It has weight. It's weighty, right? And, and so God's plan, God's presence it is weighty. It's profound, right? It, it, so God wants us to have this experience. Or maybe you've had it in worship where you actually... Feel not a heavy burdensome weight, but a real weight of glory. That's actually a title of one of C.S. Lewis's books, Weight of Glory, where he explores glory in God's presence. Well, God's plan, God's plan is for us to be in God's glorious presence. I want to read to you a quote from Tim Keller, a great preacher who had an amazing church that he led in New York City, passed away not that long ago, but Tim Keller wrote this. Jesus lost all his glory so that we could be clothed in it. He was shut out so that we could get access. He was bound, nailed, so that we could be free. He was cast out so we could approach. And Jesus took away the only kind of suffering that can really destroy you. That is being cast away from God. He he took so that now... All suffering that comes into your life will only make you great. A lump of coal under pressure becomes a diamond. And the suffering of a person in Christ only turns you into someone, somebody gorgeous. Tim Keller. All right. the, the glorious presence of God doesn't mean easiness in the human life. Sometimes it means we're we going with God through the suffering. And that's what Jesus did as our great, perfect older brother first. He was made perfect through suffering right? How could the Son of God who is already perfect in existence, right, in eternity be made perfect through suffering? That's an interesting phrase, right? How is the one who is God who created us in the first place made perfect? Um, well, by fulfilling for us what we could not fulfill on our own, right? But for do, by doing something that had not yet been done in all of existence, He created a creation project that needed to be restored and redeemed, right? So he healed what we could not heal on our own. The suffering of Jesus Christ, what he suffered was what we'd say is redemptive, meaning he brought life where there was death for us. It was a perfecting work. It was a restoring work. He is the great author is a a title that Hebrews is gonna use for him. He is an author and he's refining and editing the manuscript on his own. That's what authors do, right? The characters in the story cannot do it on their own. We are characters in the story as much as the 21st century thinking would wanna place us at the center of our story and tell us we are the authors and we are the main point. Obviously, that's a very dangerous way to live in this world and it's happening, right? Right? But, but the scriptures come and say, ooh, the really good news is that you're not the center of your story. Do not listen to your own truth. Do not follow your own heart. Do not listen to your own feelings. All of that is dangerous. All of that is bad news. The truth is, God is the wonderful, perfect author who loves you so much. He came in to take what ails you and is broken about you. And he did it. And he was made perfect through his own suffering. He is the author. Another way of thinking of this is he is the great champion, He comes to fight the battles that we cannot fight. He comes to run the race that we cannot win, right? And to complete it and win it for us. He comes to die a sinner's death, though he wasn't a sinner. And in that, victory is won for us. This race, this race that he runs and wins for us was a race of making us new, because he wanted to restore his created intention to to make us holy enough to be in God's glorious, weighty, beautiful, amazing presence. That was his intention all along, to walk with us, to be near us, nearer than our very breath, and that's what we have now when we believe in Jesus Christ. We have the Holy Spirit who's near to us, right? So he did this. He was made perfect through suffering. He is our sanctifier, and he sanctifies. He's our uh, sanctifier, and he sanctifies. So he is holy. Holy is a word that uh, you're not going to find on many kids' spelling lists these days, right? Maybe you are. I don't know. It's a good word. It's a simple word. He, he is holy, right? So if you don't know how to spell it, there you go. If you thought it was had to do with your genes or something, it's, it, it has to be do with being made righteous or being made perfectly good. God is holy. This is not a bad word. We sometimes add this word to bad words, which is really ironic. But uh, this, this is a good, good word, right? It, 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 in, the, in the old language, okay, it's, it's a word yeah, in the Latin that it's called sanct. Sanct is the root, S-A-N-C-T. We are in a sanctuary. A holy place set apart for holy activity where the people of God worship together and lift up their prayers together. But the scriptures always say, also say that He's made us a holy sanctuary ourselves, that we're in Christ, we're made righteous to have the, the, the Spirit of God with us. You have been made holy if you've believed in Jesus Christ. Holy is good. Being made holy is good. This is part of God's big plan because if God is going to draw us into God's glorious presence, we can't just come in willy-nilly saying, oh, by the way, I'm the author of my own story. I do what I want, but I really want you in my story, God, so I'm just gonna stroll on in. That's the 21st century mindset, but that doesn't work. (laughs) This is a real story where the author says, hey, I have to deal with that which is in you and of you that is not holy. And that's what Jesus did. He took anything that was unholy of us, and he broke the power of it. He dealt with the penalty of it. He he put it away. He was victory. He conquered it. Right? Holy is very good. And I wish in our age again that that could come back. Right? Being holier now or rubbing your holiness in somebody else's nose—that's not very holy. (laughs) Right? But holy also, people who are know that Jesus Christ is their holiness—they're secure. They don't have anything to prove because Jesus did it for them. They're humble. Humble and holiness go together. They're good. They're kind because they know how good and kind Jesus has been for them. Holy is a, is a great word. Right? So we are made holy. Uh, that's part of God's desire and will for you. That is done for you if you believed in Jesus Christ. And yet as apprentices or followers of Jesus Christ, as disciples of Jesus Christ who are trying to be made like him, even though it's been achieved and done in Jesus Christ, we have a task of working that out or as Paul says elsewhere, we have to work out our salvation in fear and trembling. So it is one and done for us in Jesus Christ if we believe in him. And yet we are working it out becoming more like him, learning how we need to turn from certain things and turn more to Christ and becoming more holy in our practices, even though in our identity and in eternity and in God's eyes, we are made holy because we have the very holiness of Jesus Christ if we've believed in him, right? We are identified with God's perfect son, though we are sinners, we are identified with him who never sinned and that we have the same righteousness as he does. That is mind-blowing, right? We are heirs with Christ. That's really how he sees you, right? It's amazing. Let, let, let's take a step back into a couple of the Old Testament scriptures that actually not the ones particularly quoted here, but 2 Samuel 7. 2 Samuel 7 in the Old Testament, this is where, where David is given a vision. Uh, Prophet Nathan helps him see this, that through David's line, there's going to be a kingdom that lasts forever and a special king from David's line that will bring a forever type of relationship with God and a for, he will be a forever king, right? And, and we as followers of Jesus, as apprentices of Jesus, we, we believe this is a prophecy or a prediction of Jesus Christ himself. And so 2 Samuel 7, starting in the middle of verse 11, says this. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, the prophet's saying this to David, I will raise up offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom." He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. Okay? He, when he, now this is where it gets strange, we're gonna deal with this, but when he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of men but my steadfast love will not depart from him. Did you hear that part? Okay, it, it seems like, oh, this is a, the earth, go ahead, go back to that screen. Yeah, go back to the scripture. It seems that, uh, that this is about maybe like Solomon, uh, David's son, and that's you know, that God's gonna raise up a really good king for Israel in his time, but then we realize as we read the scriptures, this is gonna be a king that lasts forever, and then Solomon dies and was a sinner and not, you know, perfect, and, and, you know, did a lot of good things and had great wisdom but was not this savior king that was predicted, right? And 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 then so we know that there's this king that's supposed to come that will have a forever kingdom but it says, you know, to our Christian ears in verse 14 and 15, it says, you know, God's gonna be a father to him, he'll be my sin but he will commit iniquity? Wait, the son of God, Jesus Christ, never sinned, right? That's what we believe, he never sinned how will he be seen as one committing iniquity or sin? Why would he be disciplined as if he committed sin? Because he so identifies with your sin and my sin that he is identified as a sinner. Not by anything that he ever actually did or participated in, but through his deep love for you and for me, he is identified as sinner. In reality, right? He was tempted in every way, Hebrews is going to tell us, but never sinned, but he chose to be identified as the one who had our sin. Paul says in 2 Corinthians, he who knew no sin became sin so that we might have the righteousness of God. That's the same thing that's being said here. It is absolutely amazing. That is how much you are identified with him. And he, the perfect one, who did not deserve to die a sinner's death, he, the wages of sin are death, but he had no wages of sin, so he didn't deserve to die, but he did, he did the death, he did the suffering, so that he could identify in our place. That's what he's doing, right? This is how great a big brother you have. You cannot earn or deserve this. He just loves you that much. He, he became this for us he was punished as if he had done it think about the next time you have to repent of a sin and i've been there i am there quite a bit unfortunately but what god is teaching me is when you do that don't just feel the guilt and the shame and oh just try to think morality and i'll try to do better next time i mean there's some of that we need to do right but think gospel too think good news because that's the great help that will help you the next time you face temptation. Like, he's, he already identified for that sin? He already bore that? Thank you, Jesus. And when I face this temptation next time, I'm gonna think about your love for me and not just try to have good willpower, but think about your deep love for me as my great bigger brother who went and did for me what I could not do for myself. Let's go to another scripture that that, that Hebrew background people would have understood. Isaiah 53, that really, it was kind of, for most Jewish people, they they held this as a mysterious scripture. Now, uh, Jewish people who became followers of Christ, it was really unlocked for them because, oh, it's not mysterious anymore. This is about Jesus Christ. So if you never heard Isaiah 53, if you haven't heard in a while, this is just wonderful. Let's hear Isaiah 53. And there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has to put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul and makes intercession for the transgressors. The word of the Lord. Written hundreds of years before Jesus was born in Bethlehem. Think God had a plan? Think God knew the only way to make you holy, to make you come back into his family, his glorious presence? Yes, he knew the stakes. He knew what it would take, right? The way forward for us the way into his family is for him to become flesh and blood flesh and blood he had to become real in our sense a down at our level to make us holy anew, to make us righteous enough to be in his presence, to wash away all which marred us and clouded our ability to see him and be with him, our brokenness, our selfishness, and the death that comes with it. He had to deal with all of that, and it was real. He's he's God. He's almighty, but this is, he's a real God. He, he, this is a real story. You can't just wave a wand and it's gone. It's not like that. This is reality. It's not like that in your family, right, and it's not like that in God's reality. God had to deal with it in flesh and blood, There were real things done and real consequences and the real nature of sin and the power of death had to really be defeated, right? Life is real, folks. This is no game. There are philosophies right now that are saying, you know, life is just a dream or, you know, uh, there's always been philosophies. says life is what you make it and things, but this, no, this is real. This is no game. This is a great story of God. The whole reason existence exists as we perceive it is because God wanted it to exist. And in this story, God has high stakes. Think about that. The eternal God who lived in perfect eternity, perfect loving community of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. In God's choice to create, to love creation, particularly human beings, there was a choice to say, I'm going to have to enter in and become flesh and blood, the Son of God, eternal, said that, in eternity. But I'm all in, God said. I'll do that. Because that's who God is, right? But I want you to see that this is not fake or pretend for God. God really experienced human life, human temptations, and also human true suffering and death. God had high stakes so that we could have high reward, right? But God had to really conquer the real powers of death and evil. So let's think about, in this section, it tells us about death, the power of death, and the devil, right? We know the reality of death in our world. It doesn't take much living to figure that out, that there is a reality of death. And there is is a power of death that that holds many people in fear, right? It becomes a great uh, industry for a lot of people, frankly, to make money off of our fear of getting old and fear of dying, when, when actually the Bible says you know, getting old is a blessing and it's a great resource. You know, but, but we live as human beings in this fear of death and aging, But what I want to tell you is that this section says is victory over death and the power of it, the fear of it, the anxiety of it. The victory over all of that is real. Why? Because Jesus really did historically actually become flesh and blood. While still being the son of God, he identified as a human being in every way except for sin nature, right? And doing that and having the victory that he had There was a power released that could not hold us anymore, right? All real power, all eternal power comes from where? Just guess. Nobody? God, good, okay. All real power, everything good power comes from God, its ultimate source. Death is not an ultimate eternal power for there is no death in God. Deep thought, Okay but it is a power of a sort. It is real, I've already said, we've really experienced it. But it did not have its origin in God. But it does have an actual reality for our experience. So it, it, if we think about this, God wanted to vanquish this temporary power that had a hold on God's creation. Right? So God, God made a plan. God made a plan to come down to us and to, to then conquer and annihilate the power of death and the one who was temporarily holding it, the devil, this representation of evil. The same one who was the serpent in the garden whispering or telling us, did God really say? Saying, yeah, just kind of make up your own rules. The original sin is still a very popular sin today, right? Just have it your own way. But God said, no, that invites death because that is not life. That's not within the the, the life that I want for you. But evil is whispering to us, did God really say you can't eat that? Does that really matter? Can't you do what you want? Can't you do whatever feels best? But the scriptures come back and say, no, the real power is not in, you know, the false power is trying to freely say our freedoms about living the life that we want, the way we want. But that is the way that leads to death and brokenness and division in communities and division in families, because it doesn't live within the reality of that there are actually definitions of good. There are right and good ways to live and to treat each other. And when we live outside of those definitions, that is death too. That is death of relationships, that is brokenness. Right? So God is the definer of what is good and when we go outside of that definer of what is good we're, we're, we're perverting a perfect power right? and we're participating in the way of death. But here's the really good news Hebrews is saying. The power still exists. And there is a power out there that is going to conquer this false power but in order to do that he had to swallow it up in himself. He had to really take it and conquer it by proving, in a sense, that his love is greater than the lie. Right? So the great author of the story comes into the story and and says, the lie is not meant to hold you anymore, and I am going to crush it by showing you that the lie is not real, by showing you what is real, and what is real is God is love, and Jesus Christ demonstrated that that while we were still sinners, while we were so sinful, we put him on the cross, he said, I'm not going to use this cross to condemn you, I'm going to use this cross to forgive you, I'm going to take all your stuff upon myself, and I'm going to beat it to show you that love is the truth and sin and death and evil and the devil, our lives, fear them no more for they are swallowed up with the truth. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> Isn't God amazing? He was made like his brothers is what Hebrews is saying. And we can add sisters for fun. Made like his brothers. Except on the slide. But he really was made like his brothers in every respect. In every respect, he was made like you except for (coughs) sin. He, He became a servant, as Paul says in Philippians 2. And not just a servant, but a servant who became obedient to death, even death on a cross. So that he could represent, so that the Son of God could represent us to the eternal family, the Godhead, Father and Spirit. Say, this is our family. This is my sister. This is my brother. I'm their great representative. I'm their big brother. Hebrews will then say, I'm their great priest. I'll represent them. I've done the sacrifice necessary. They're holy. They can be in our family. They can be in our presence. He is our merciful and faithful high priest. He's a priest representing people before God, holding back the penalty of what people deserved, representing them, taking great risks to, stand before God for the people. And the priesthood that came before Jesus, we're gonna really get into that in Hebrews, but it was, it was a foreshadowing of the great priest, Jesus, and what he was gonna do fully that we heard in 2 Samuel 7 and Isaiah 53 today. He was gonna do, really do it, really do it for us. And that's what we call propitiation for the sins of the people. So this whole sermon is really just about defining that crazy word, propitiation, for the sins of his people. Because you can go look up propitiation in a dictionary or ask your phone what it is when you get in your car today or whatever, but really, it's, it's so deep, right? The priest, the priest, if we go back to thinking of Jewish people, the priest did not, you know, they, they, they stood in place for someone else. Let's just say that. And the priest, capital P, Jesus Christ, is the one that heals or covers over all of our brokenness. But in this case, he doesn't bring some other sacrifice, an animal or something like that. He is the sacrifice. In human terms of woundedness, our sin wound as human beings as individuals, and obviously, just look at humanity, our sin wound is unhealable. It doesn't clot on our own. It's not healing. And it won't just get magically better. It's an open wound. And in many families and in many places, it's, it's festering, getting worse. But he came in to be the healer of our deep wounds. He was wounded for our transgressions. He, he bore our wounds because he was the holy one. He was the cleanser. He was the, 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 the one who could come in and help our wounds clot and heal. He could lift the death out of them, take the infection of sin out of them. He could, he could take it himself. He could take all the daggers of sin that have been thrown of us and frankly that we've thrown at other people. He could take that away from us and give us a desire a new heart of a heart of flesh a heart that seeks to love others as he loved us right this is why he suffered and was tempted for us and that's where we want to end up is just thinking about his suffering and temptations that's where it goes at the end all of this could just be high lofty theology and the pastor getting real worked up today and you could just leave it here I don't suggest you do any of that I suggest you think and ponder on this and praise God for who he is and what God has done. And that his suffering and what he faced in being tempted as a human being is actually real life practical help for you. He can help you in the temptations of life. One great temptation of the 21st century is despair, right? Of thinking, "It, it is just such a mess out there, right? And forgetting the good news of the great God who gave himself for us, right? so his suffering and temptations can be an antidote to the despair, to the darkness, to the depression, to the anger, the division out there, because we're in Christ, we're secure, we have what we need, we have a great God who did for us what we don't deserve and couldn't do for ourselves, so I don't have to fight and prove who I am to other people, people can be crazy, they've been crazy, I mean, we've always been crazy, I was crazy, Jesus came for me and saved me from my craziness, right, So I don't got to fight and pick on other people who are still crazy with their crazy ideas and their crazy sin? Of course. But so many Christians spend their time doing that as if that's the way people are saved. They ain't saved by you telling them how crazy they are in their sin, really. They need to be convicted of their sin, don't get me wrong. But they need to hear the good God who loves them deeply, who loved them so much, was crazy in love for them, with them, that he took their brokenness upon himself, right? So when you are tempted to be an angry Christian, (laughs) tempted to be somebody's Holy Spirit, his suffering and temptations can remind you, wait a second, while I was yet a sinner, he died for me. He was tempted in the similar ways that I just sinned a day ago and never sinned. And his blood shed for me was shed for my sin. Who am I to pick on that other person too much? I need to start Showing and reflecting the love of Jesus to them. Maybe they feel really trapped in their sin and brokenness. Maybe they feel trapped in their anger. Maybe they're depressed and broken. Right? His suffering and temptations, what I'm trying to say, should humble us, should deepen compassion in us, should open up bridges where we are talking with people who are not like us. right? Because we know it's only by God's grace I am who I am. It's not by anything I have done. Not one bit. Not one bit. He is the best big brother a boy or girl could have. And I don't deserve it. I don't deserve it. And that's the point, right? He has done everything to bring me back home and you too. So remember that this week when you're tempted to despair. Or remember that this week when you're tempted to participate in some selfish sin. Remember that when you're tempted to act in an unloving way to someone. Because remember this simply, that is not who I am. I am a little sister or a little brother of Jesus Christ the Lord who selflessly gave himself for me. I'm part of his family. I want to live like him. So I'm not going to give in to that temptation, and I'm not going to listen to those lies. And that power of fear that's out there, that's not a real power. It's been beaten, it's been vanquished. That's real power for your suffering and temptations. Because, friends, He is real, and His victory is real. Oh, God, you are so good. We have begun to touch the surface of this section. So I pray that your truth would remain. And that your Holy Spirit would deepen your people's time with the scripture. And that they would simply see you and your love for them. Deepen, deepen our, our, our journey with you through hearing your word and believing it. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.